0: Amen. Well, I welcome you to our Good Friday service this morning. For those of you who are called Harvest Your Home, uh, great to see you again from your living rooms. For those of you who are visiting and tuning in uh, with us online, we're so glad you're here. We're praying this is a powerful time uh, for all of us to see Jesus clearly and have him uh, affect the way that we think and act and be uh, for the duration of not just this day, but for the duration of our lives. And so uh, we turn to uh, the scriptures this morning to help us to see Jesus Christ. Christ uh, this Good Friday. Good Friday, what is it? It's simply this, a day of remembrance and reflection on the greatest act of heroism the world has ever seen, the greatest act of heroism in human history. Much akin to Remembrance Day, where we stop everything and we line the streets uh, and we put poppies on our chest to stop and remember the sacrifice of all those who went before us to buy our freedom, the the, those that lost their lives, those who suffered much, the cost, the price for our freedom. So Good Friday is, but in greater measure, in, in much more epic proportions, the reality of what Jesus Christ suffered and died, that we might have spiritual freedom, freedom from the clutches of Satan. Freedom from from our own selves and freedom to enjoy the embrace of God forever. This is Good Friday, lest we forget, reflecting and remembering and rejoicing the full reality that there was a far greater war that was fought. There was a far greater price than has ever been paid for spiritual freedom by Jesus Christ. Good Friday is really ultimately all about this, the day that Jesus Christ went through hell, that we would not have to spend a minute of our eternity in hell ourselves. Isaiah chapter 53 is one of the most well-known passages of Scripture that really capture the essence of Jesus' death. We see in the Gospels so clearly all the the narratives of what actually happened, and yet uh, Isaiah is a foreshadowing. 700 years before Jesus Christ actually lived, Isaiah was saying, look, the Messiah is going to come. Look, this is what he's going to look like. Look, this is what he's going to do for you and for I, that we can have forgiveness of sins. Isaiah points us to the Messiah who'd be willing to lay it all down for his people in the greatest, most uh, memorable, heroic act of human history. Old Testament is filled with Christ. Not just the New Testament, Old Testament is filled with Christ. Here's what the Old Testament does. It shows us by the Spirit of God that beforehand what, would the, what was going to be the sufferings of Jesus and ultimately the glory that should follow. So the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. Matthew Henry says this about Isaiah chapter 53. This chapter is so replenished with the unsearchable riches of Christ that it may be rather called the gospel of the evangelist Isaiah rather than the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah. Some call Isaiah 53 the, the, the servant song or the song of the suffering servant. It's a vivid picture of the king who suffered and died to make us princes and princesses Of the living God. Often quoted in the New Testament, here it is Isaiah chapter 53. Let me read it for you. Let me read it for you, it's sort of like a, a funeral passage. We go to funerals and we hear of eulogies and this is who the person was and every funeral says something like this. They were such a great person, they they, they lived, they, they loved others, they made life more complete. They would give you the shirt off their back, they wouldn't hurt a fly. Here's what they did to summarize their lives and this is really Jesus' eulogy we see here in Isaiah 53. And so listen to the vivid picture somewhat like a eulogy we see in funerals, but even to a greater degree, capturing the essence and the glory of Jesus Christ like no other human could ever live this life or walk this path. Here's Isaiah 53, starting at verse two, right to the end. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Think of this, this is Jesus Christ. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He chose the lowest path that we would be elevated before God. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted, that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Here's the reality, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He, Jesus, was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, and for his generation who was considered that he was cut off the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the... Wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his, his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That eulogy doesn't capture you this morning. Stop right now and ask God, God, help me see the full reality of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for me, what he has done for me. This is Good Friday. Jesus willing to walk the path that none of us could ever walk. Jesus answering the call that none of us could have ever answered on account for our lives, my life and your life, for our sin that we might be made righteous before God. Here's Jesus in a few quick points just to help you once again grab the fullness of who he is. Think about this eulogy in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Jesus was spurned by mankind. Jesus was spurned by mankind. Look at verses 1 to 3. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men of men of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus came at a time when they didn't expect a spiritual revolution. He came from a young root coming from David's line from a spiritually dry area where would, no, no one would expect that the, 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 the Son of God would arise from. In other words, the people of God didn't even see it coming. It's like in the spring when we come out in the spring and we're looking for the, we're looking for the new vegetation. We don't see it. We don't see it all of a sudden. Boom, it's there one day. This is the, the suddenness of Jesus because the people in the Old Testament were missing the signs. Jewish people were expecting a royal king and all of his pomp and all of his power and all of his, his purple robes to liberate them politically and socially and economically. And yet God had a far greater liberation for us through his son. He came that he would liberate us completely spiritually and reunite us with our father. Instead of a royal procession, Jesus came in a lowly manger with no former majesty, no beauty. People in that time were thinking that the Messiah was going to come as a, as a, as a king, kind of like the prom king in and, and all of the good looks and all of the, the, the pomp and the, and the prestige. And yet Jesus came more like the kid in the cafeteria sitting in the corner all by himself. The king of all kings came in the form of a regular human being despised and hated. You've been despised, I've been despised. Oh, how we hate being despised. We've been hated, how we hate being hated. Jesus chose all of this. The sting of rejection that he might follow the will of God. Notice not just in this text, but in the New Testament account that Jesus was was out with almost everybody. Everybody out with religious leaders the Jews and the gentiles alike did not want Jesus they held contempt for him they they hated him they wished he never lived Half of Jesus' life was spent running from those trying to kill him. His, his, his own people turned him away. He was turned away from his own town and, and synagogues he was run out of. Even those, even those who were closest to him turned from him at that last time, the path that Jesus chose to walk. Think of Judas who betrayed him and, and, and Peter who denied him and his disciples who scattered when he needed the most. Ultimately the rejection of a Messiah was so clear among the Jewish people. Mark 10 says he was a stone the builders rejected, but he did become the cornerstone. It was the Lord's doing, and it was too marvelous for our even eyes. Why? Because his claims were too great, his message was too straight, his his call of discipleship had carried too much weight, and so we as humankind pushed him away instead of drawing him near. He lived a life of sorrow and new real grief. This is the king of all kings. This is the mission that he came to accomplish. He knew he was coming from heaven to earth on a suicide mission. There was no glamour for him at the time. There was no... There was no um, pomp of a king and yet he chose to walk this path for us. He was rejected. He chose rejection that you and I would never have to be rejected by God. How old that for you? Jesus chose the path of rejection that you and I who are destined for rejection by God because of our sin would never have to face the rejection of our creator and heavenly father. This is Jesus Christ, this Good Friday. Not only was he rejected, or spurned by mankind, he was smitten by God. Look at the next verse, verse 4. Look at verse 10 and 11. Surely he has borne our griefs. He can understand our griefs. He can carry our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. In other words, we didn't look at him with high esteem because he was smitten by God and afflicted. Look over at verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offspring for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. I think it's one thing for Jesus to be willing to be spurned by mankind, but what about this? He was smitten by his very father, whom he loved so deeply, who who he shared a perfect relationship with. This is the path of Jesus on Good Friday. He was smitten by God. We know what it means to be smitten. It means to strike. It means to smite or slay or kill or beat or slaughter or be stricken. If someone says, I'm going to, I'm going to, smite you it means they're gonna bring the hammer on you think of lightning bolt the lightning bolt coming from heaven but it wasn't just the pain of being smitten by mankind it was the pain of being smitten by his father Get this, a sovereign God allowed Jesus to be nailed to the cross and hung up for the world to see because he knew, he knew that we couldn't atone for our own sins, that that we weren't good enough, we didn't have the perfection that was needed to atone for sins, and so he gave his own son to be crushed and pierced for our iniquities. You think it was just the plan of Jesus, think again, it was the will of God, it says it right here in this text, it was the will of God that Jesus walk this path of death for us. I don't know about you, but I even hate watching my sons and my daughter fall and scrape their knees. It just, it, just, it just hurts me to watch them in pain. Can you imagine the, the will of God to crush his son when I was a kid you know, growing up in a little town of Hanover, a little farming community one uh, morning, June 14th. I can remember the date so clearly. I don't remember what year it was. June 14th. And I remember my coming home. My mom was kind of in a, a frenzy walking around the house. I was like, what's wrong, Mom? What's wrong? She uh, informed me that one of the little boys in our church passed away. Mark, Michelle, a little boy in our church. And he died at the hands of a farm by accident. His dad backed into the barn and crushed his skull from the farming implement in the back of the barn and crushed him. And remember the days after the grief of a father, the pain and torment to think that he crushed his own son. Get this, God did this willfully. That's how much he loves you because there was no other way. It's like watching your innocent son on death row and yet God was the judge that put him there and sentenced him to death. Why? To satisfy his righteous anger or wrath uh, for sin that had to be leveled out on somebody so it was leveled out on Jesus. Instead of leveling it on you and I, he leveled it out on Jesus. Jesus didn't deserve to die, but it was God's will that put him there. And he took it on himself to fulfill his salvation mission. Get this, Jesus faced the wrath of God. That's the darkness on Good Friday, the hours of darkness. Jesus faced the wrath of God that you and I would never have to if we put our faith in him. Jesus took it. Look what else this passage says. He was slaughtered for my sin. Jesus was ultimately slaughtered for my sin. The meaning of this passage grows in clarity through these verses. The pain he is bearing is ours. The punishment of sin is mine, but it's the price of salvation. Look what it says here in verse five. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him. The chastisement that brought us peace. Jesus was pierced for our sin. This is what our our sin deserved. It deserved punishment. It deserved death. Jesus allowed the nails to go through his hands the nails to go through his feet, the crown of thorns to be mashed upon his head. It's the greatest heroic act of love to stand in our place. Ever stepped on a nail by accident in the garage and, and you get your foot up just before it goes right through, and yet it just it just kills. Can you can you imagine that nail going right through your foot? And staying there and hanging on a cross. He was pierced. He was crushed, his body was whipped and scourged by not just whips, but whips with little metal pieces in the end or pieces of bone to to rip the skin off. He bore the chastisement of the scolding and punishment, the mocks, the jeers that we read about in the New Testament. He's the king of the Jews, save yourself. you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Jesus endured it all. He put his whole life on the line for you and I that we could attain freedom in God. Often read USA Today. I've told you that before, and and I love those stories of, of the, the the war stories of the heroes of war that come back from from overseas, and and they've given them all, given their whole lives for the for the freedom of their country. One of those men was our uh, Ar- army sergeant Joel Tavares, and uh, a picture of him. He's apparently one of the um, the most injured war veteran in USA at the time. And uh, reading this story about him, he stepped on a um, stepped on a landmine, uh, or sorry, a rocket hit his Humvee, and and just demolished uh, really. Apart part his body in every sort of way. There's a picture of him, a, a kind of a, a rough picture of him. He um, had his face distorted, burned over 90% of his body, lost his sight, his right leg, and part of his skull and some of his fingers. 80 plus surgeries and we're healing him as a hero because of what he put his life through and, and he'd even say at this point, it was all worth it for the freedom of Americans. So this, this is a picture of Jesus on the cross. Not I know you're probably a, an accurate depiction. He's probably worse off than that. But it's Jesus on the cross. Look in his eyes. This is what he's willing to suffer for our sin. This is what a picture of what sin deserves, what, 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 what the horrendous nature of sin to a holy God. This is what we deserved. And yet he was like a sheep being led to slaughter. In other words, he was quiet. He was silent, innocent little sheep. Didn't say a word. Think of Jesus before his accusers. Stood silently. Think of Jesus on the cross. He could, have, he could have snapped his fingers. It was all gone. It was all done. Everyone else would have fallen over. He would have raised off that cross and lived. Instead he allowed himself to die as a sheep. Being led to slaughter. It's amazing because he was an innocent sheep. Think of a sheep pure and innocent. Pure white. Just calm, tender, meek. He was an innocent sheep. We are the sheep that went astray, this passage says, we are the sheep that turn from God, rebelled against God. We are the sheep that have a natural propensity to do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. We are the sheep that should have been led to slaughter, yet Jesus took our place. Why so passive? Because he knew this was the only way for your sin and my sin to be atoned for. Remember when I was a kid, my sister would often get in trouble for me I was good at passing the blame of ducking under my parents' discipline and hearing her get scolding and sometimes spankings for my offense. She'd be so angry at me. She'd call me all kinds of names. and No one ever wants to take the place of someone else's punishment. Even when we get accused of something, we're so quick to to answer back and give our defense. And yet Jesus is so quick to jump in our place and give no defense. because of his deep love for us. Here's the truth, brothers and sisters, today. We are all sinners. So clear in Romans chapter 3, 9, Romans chapter 3, 23. We deserve the wrath of God. And yet God chose in that day on good Friday to pour upon Jesus, not just our sin, to put upon Jesus' shoulders, not just our sin, but the sin of every human of every era that came before us, that is here right now, that's gonna come after us. Jesus bore the sins of the world. And God spent his wrath on Jesus that we would be justified. That we'd be looked upon just as if we've never sinned. Here's the truth of Good Friday. The servant, Jesus, assumed the role of sacrificial lamb. Christ is the Passover lamb of the Old Testament. Christ is, in John 1.29, the sacrificial lamb of God as an offering for our sin. Why, Why? as one commentator said, would God be willing to put his son into the wicked hands of humankind because he loves us. Wicked hands might have killed a willing savior and it all came out of love for us because there was no other way for our sin to be purified but by the blood of a spotless, sinless human being, the only one named Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Blood is a life source. It's the way it had to be. His life for my life. There is no other way. There is no other way. His life for mine. Oh, my precious Jesus. He endured all of that that you and I would never have to. Endure that ever. It's hard to even picture the reality of this. I read a story this past week of uh, uh, about a time in 1942. A group of Scottish uh, soldiers were taken prisoner by the Japanese at Singapore, and uh, while they were working hard building a bridge, part of the the prisoner of war work detail. The Japanese would torture them and and abuse them and one day as they were collecting their shovels going from checkpoint to checkpoint, uh, the Japanese um, soldier governing this little platoon of of Scottish soldiers found there was one shovel missing. Immediately he called the group together and and demanded they produce the shovel. He thought someone was was irresponsible and left it behind or worse yet someone stole it and so he demanded them produce the shovel. Who caused the shovel to go missing. They all stood there uh, not willing to admit to their, to their error. And so he pulled out his gun and said, I will shoot you all if, not one, if not, not one person admits to what they've done wrong. Given by his history, they knew he was serious. And so they all stood there not knowing what to do and, and, and afraid of what the, the, the next thing was gonna happen. Whereas out of the end of the line, one soldier quietly stood forward and said, I did it, sir, it was me who did it. Immediately the governing officer put aside his gun and picked up a shovel and beat this man to death, this Scottish soldier to death. Watching in morbid morbid reality playing out before him, the other soldiers slowly but gratefully picked up the body of their fallen and carried him to the next checkpoint where they counted all the shovels and realized that not one shovel was missing. It was an error, though, checkpoint before. Which caused an either greater shock and awe around the camp as they realized that this person who is innocent sacrifices life that they might live. This is the reality of Jesus. God is not, God is not a God who mercilessly beats his, his own. That's not God at all. He gives us what our sin deserves, but this is a picture not of, of who God is, but of who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who stood, stepped forward, innocent by all charges, yet willing to give it all that we might live. Amazing. Amazing. Jesus sacrificed for our freedom. you're here this morning, you know the reality of Jesus. Just stop and thank him right now. I pray that in your heart right now, the love of Jesus is just overflowing. I pray that your your eyes are filled with, with tears and there's a lump in your throat as you're recognizing the overwhelming sacrifice of your Savior, maybe in a greater way than ever before. Take a moment right now just to stop and say this. If you're a believer today, thank you, Jesus Christ, that you did that for me. I know I'm not worthy. I know you're not worthy. None of us are worthy. The worthy one stepped in for the unworthy ones to reconcile us to God through the forgiveness of sins and give us brand new life in Jesus Christ in the fullness of the presence of the living God. If you don't know Jesus today, this is what Jesus Christ has done for you. This is what Jesus Christ has done for you. You don't have to believe it, you don't have to acknowledge it, but this is the reality for every human soul. We are truly, truly in the very nature of our being, the nature of our DNA, we're not at all as good as we think we are. In fact, the Bible calls it sin. We've sinned, we've lied, we've stolen, we've cheated, we have evil thoughts, wrong words come off of our lips. We devise evil plans. Our natural propensity is sin. And that separates us from a holy God. Yet God loved us so much that he gave us an option that we would not have to face the punishment for our sin, which is eternal death forever from separation from the living God. And he said right now that you can, even this Good Friday morning, turn your attention to Jesus. You can bow before Jesus. You can humble yourself and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And thank you for being my savior. Thank you for on the cross taking all of my sin and all my guilt and all my shame And today you can start a brand new life with Jesus Christ. With God the Father. And you can grab the full meaning of what Good Friday really is. It's the most heroic act in human history. Purchasing your freedom from the clutches of Satan, from the clutches of death, from the clutches of sin. And releasing you into the life that God intended for you through Jesus Christ. Here's the last point. Here's the last point. Here's what Christ purchased for us. Here's what Christ bought for us on that Good Friday when he died on the cross for our sins. Verses 10 to 12. Sorry, verses 11 and 12. Out of the anguish of the soul, he shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted uh, righteous. See this? He's he in his in his righteousness, he took our unrighteousness and made us righteous through his death on the cross, and he shall bear their iniquities. He he bore our sin. Therefore I'll divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered among the transgressors. He stood in line with us in judgment line, yet he bore the sins of many, and he makes intercession for the Transgressions. Here's what Jesus Christ has ultimately done for us. He has bought for us the righteousness that we could never buy for ourselves. See what it says here? He has bought us our righteousness. He's satisfied. In his own heart, the wrath of God, and by his knowledge, knowing that the righteous one, his servant, shall make many to be accounted righteous. He, he knows that we can't make ourselves righteous. We can try so hard, we can't make ourselves righteous. So he made us righteous by this one act. By his knowledge, he knew what it was gonna take and he was willing to pay the price. Second Corinthians 5, 21 says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Get this, he, who, he made him God made him, Jesus, to be sin. To actually embody sin. He knew no sin, but he embodies sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's like we committed the, the, the crime. We know we're guilty. We're red-handed. We stand before the judge. We know what our punishment should be. And yet Jesus comes in and says to, a, to, to, to the, 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 his father, the judge, I will pay the price. I will pay their speeding ticket. I will sit in the jail cell that... You can account their sin to me and you can account my righteousness to them. It's the great exchange. I take their sin, they take my righteousness. By the act of Jesus. You know what else he's done for us? He's given us ultimate healing. It says in verse five, by his stripes we are healed. We're in this pandemic now. We're looking for healing, looking for healing, looking for healing. Uh, this is even far greater than any healing that we could ever come up against. This is spiritual healing. God can heal us for sure, but this is a spiritual healing. By his stripes we are healed. In other words, in other words uh, he has brought us salvation he has healed our inner problem of sin just like our, our souls are all crippled, just like a smoker's lung is crippled by, by, by smoking for years and it's, it doesn't function properly, it can't sustain, so our souls are crippled by sin and Jesus Christ by this one act has healed our souls. He's taken out of our old souls of sin and death he's given us a brand new soul of life that is clean and pure before God. He has healed us not just from the consequences of sin but from sin itself that we can now walk in the righteousness that he's put upon us. He's healed us by his wounds. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body in the tree that we might die to sin and live to his righteousness. He gives me ultimate healing in a spiritual sense that every soul so desperately longs for. Maybe even you realize right now, in this midst of this pandemic, that you desperately long for something greater than physical healing. It's healing in your soul that Jesus offers us. Here's the last thing he offers us also in verse five. He offers us real peace. His chastisement for our peace. Not phony peace or cheap peace. The, Made in Taiwan, type of peace that you, you know, the kind of gifts you get for your kids and it's it's good for a second and gone and broken. No, it's not the type of peace, it's eternal peace, it's peace forever. Peace with God. Peace from the war within us, the battle within us, peace in our struggle with others, peace in the fear, peace from fear from the world around us. Jesus Christ bought us peace. He brings us the ultimate ceasefire in all avenues of life that no matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens in this life, even no matter what happens in death, we can have peace and rest and hope and assurance. All of Jesus sacrifice for these freedoms, he makes me right with God, he gives me ultimate healing, he offers me real peace. Brothers and sisters in Christ, listeners online, Jesus offers you one gift that you can't find or purchase anywhere else in the world and it's free. It's the gift of salvation. This is why we stop and remember Good Friday. On Remembrance Day, November 11th, we stop and have a moment of silence. This is a day where the world stands still to thank Jesus for ultimate freedom, for your soul and my soul that can only come through his ultimate sacrifice. He was spurned by mankind. He was smitten by God. He was crushed for our sin. That we can have eternal life, relationship with God and righteousness that we could never manufacture on our own. This is Good Friday. This is the reality of the cross. Let's not miss it today. Let's not run on with our day like it's just a, we've done our event for the day. Let's stop and ponder. Let's ask God to make himself real in us again. Let's ask God to fill us with a holy affection for him like never before. Let's ask that that even this message would change the trajectory of our lives, that no longer would we live for ourselves, but we live for the one who gave himself for us. Let's ask God that he would reign on the throne of every one of our hearts for the glory of his son. Let me pray. Father, I thank you this morning for a clear picture of Jesus, for a clear picture of the cross. God, I pray today that you'd allow us to know, that you'd allow us to know in the depths of our souls the full reality of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for allowing your life to be sacrificed for mine. Thank you for allowing Jesus your death, that I might live now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.